For so many of us, 2020 has been a year of unexpected challenges and opportunities, sorrows and delights, and a whole lot to process going forward. I'm someone who's always really enjoyed the process of journaling and reflecting and taking some time to create space at the end of each year to both reflect on the past and look ahead to the future. But this year, that process really feels like a non-negotiable. It's almost as though the lessons and experiences of this past year need to be written out of my system in order to be fully processed and embodied going forward. And so with that in mind, I wanted to share some of the lessons that stood out most to me as I've been reflecting on this past year. Uh, As I continue to reflect over the, the coming weeks, I imagine there will be even more lessons to come. But as I've been journaling and writing on this idea of reflection and looking back over the past couple of weeks, these are 14 of the most impactful and most important lessons that I feel have most changed the way that I approach my life and my business and the work I create. And I hope that there's something that uh, in this list that you will benefit from as well. You're listening to Build a Better Wellness Biz, and I'm your host, Jeremy Enns. Let's get into it. So the first lesson on this list is that ideas are a habit. And this is something that I actually started learning and applying this lesson in 2019, but uh, the fruits of my labor and uh, and this lesson really hit home over the course of this year. And so this is something that I actually first heard uh, James Altucher talk about on uh, one of his podcasts. And I know I've heard him as a guest on a number of shows where he talks about this idea um, of treating idea generation as a muscle that can be strengthened uh, as you go. And so he has this kind of famous concept for him. So one of the things that he's known for uh, where he has a goal every day to come up with 10 ideas a day. And so back when I first heard about this in probably 2015, uh, I was not yet running my own business. I was just getting into the world of podcasting and online marketing and all these types of things uh, that would in the future come to define my day-to-day life. And so I was looking everywhere for any kind of business idea I could find. And so I started, uh, I, I'd heard James talk about this idea and I thought, well, okay, I'm going to try that myself. How can you, how can you go wrong if you come up with 10 ideas a day? It's only a matter of time before you come up with something that's really great. And uh, so I set the bar really high and I was looking for ideas that uh, 10 ideas a day that could, you know, potentially transform my life. These were like whole product or business ideas, things that were worth paying for. And of course, with this very high bar and not much experience, uh, I had a really tough time doing this. And I would come up, I think I, I eked out maybe 10 ideas the first day, uh, and they weren't very good. Of, of course, maybe there was one okay idea in there, but probably I'm even being generous in calling it okay. On the second day, I might have come up with seven, and I was like, okay, well, that's good enough. And then as the week went on, I think by probably the end of seven days, I was not having any new ideas and was frustrated with this this concept and this practice and kind of gave up on it. And so looking back uh, over the course of this past year, what I've realized is that I was setting my sights way too high on uh, what an idea actually was. And so like I mentioned, I was looking for these big life-changing business building ideas um, and I was passing over anything that didn't immediately fit into that category. And so this year I had a couple of realizations that uh, have really helped me kind of uh, get clear on this lesson and help the, the real um, value in this concept of, of treating ideas as a habit and as a muscle uh, sink in for me. And so the first is that Big ideas often start with really small observations or questions, and you often only realize that they lead to something bigger when you start peeling back the layers and seeing how deep they go. And then the second is that each of us has dozens of these little observations and questions every single day. 
The problem is that we haven't built up the muscle of giving ourselves time and space to actually think about and explore them. And so this once once this kind of became clear to me, I realized like, oh, I have all these ideas every single day. And as I started keeping a journal of just all these little observations and notes and things that just seemed curious or interesting to me, all of a sudden I was easily coming up with 10 ideas a day. And from that, um, I was able to actually, a lot of those became bigger ideas over time as I started to explore them and peel them back. And so when it comes to exploring these ideas in more depth, uh, that's where my daily writing habit, that is, which is something that I started this year, really came into play. And this is something I'm going to be talking about in another one of these lessons coming up here because uh, it has been something that has been really transformative for me. And so in my, my writing habit, that was kind of the time and space for me to explore these little questions. And in you know 30 to 60 minutes every day, I would sit down and look at my list of ideas I've had over the previous you know days, weeks, even months. And I would, you know, just see what I was interested in exploring that morning. And it wasn't so much about writing my beliefs and opinions and thoughts on a topic. It was kind of like letting the idea uh, unfold through my writing. And so going in with a question and maybe like a couple words of a prompt that I'd written down as something that was curious to me and just exploring what I thought about it. And so really uh, for me, it was uh, that was the time and the exploration of the ideas, which uh, often led to bigger things. Uh, sometimes those ideas would turn into, you know, a 200 word blog post, very short that went pretty much nowhere. And uh, a lot of times that was the end of the idea, or it was something that I was like, well, you know, I'm just not interested in this actually as much as I thought it was kind of an, a neat little idea or something I was curious about, but I don't actually want to spend any more time on this. But sometimes those little kernels of ideas turned into much, much bigger things. And so that was the case with uh, one of the questions that I asked myself early this year, why do podcasters get stuck and plateau when it comes to growing their shows, even when they're putting out great sounding episodes week after week after week? And so in exploring that question over a whole bunch of blog posts, uh, that actually turned into uh, my course, Podcast Marketing Academy, which has now had um, a few dozen people go through it and see great results in growing their own shows. And so the really the important part of the lesson that I've realized is that we need to be able to build up this habit of first noting just a few of the many small ideas that float through our heads on a daily basis, and then even just spending 20 minutes a day exploring one of them. Uh, if we can do that, we're going to be in really great shape when it comes to creating work that matters, that affects ourselves and impacts our lives, as well as the people that we serve. The second lesson that has really stood out to me has been that habits are a skill. And so I've talked about this before in the episode with Stephanie Bellinger, where I talked about the weight loss journey that I'd gone through. Uh, I was using an app called Noom, which is a psychology-based weight loss app, but really it's an app about building habits and building healthier habits around food. What I didn't realize at the time as I was going through this program, however, is that the lessons that I was learning in Noom in relation to food and mindful eating and just building better habits uh, were actually far more impactful than just the weight loss. Because as it turns out, if you can build a habit in one area, you've built up the skill to build habits elsewhere. And so as you establish each habit, the, the next gets easier to build. And so what started for me as one habit around healthier eating and portion control and uh, activity and movement spun off into a whole number of new habits that looked something like this. First, I established healthier habits around eating. Uh, then I had had this lifelong habit of biting my nails that I was able to break that and reprogram that habit. Uh, I started flossing my teeth every day consistently, something that I know like many people I had struggled with uh, to be consistent about that. From there, I started my daily writing practice. And then after that, I started my weekly listen up newsletter. And then I started this podcast, Build a Better Wellness Biz. 
And now, most recently, I've started building a habit around doing a weekly review uh, every Friday where I spend uh, about an hour of my time uh, reflecting on how I felt at work the last week, where I spent my time, and identifying what I can do uh, the following week to improve on both of those things. And so on and on, this kind of virtuous cycle goes, and each habit has become easier to build than the last. And, you know, when it comes to content creation, things like writing, things like the newsletter, things like this podcast, sometimes those feel like they're not really tied back into habits around, you know, eating or not chewing my nails or things like that. But for me, I really see a clear line of how important the the concept of a habit, uh, getting in the habit of creating, of publishing, of all these things, like it really is at a core, it's, it's a habit. It's not a strategy or anything like that. It is all about habit and committing to the process and sitting down to write or sitting down to record or all of these different things. Um, and so when it comes to business, habits play a huge role in, uh, in your success over the long haul. And so after this experience, I am convinced that Uh, The skill, the ability to build habits is potentially the single most important skill that any of us can develop because really, like I mentioned, success in, in business and pretty much almost anything comes down to being able to consistently show up even when you might not feel like it. And so if you can build the habit around whatever it is that you're pursuing, chances are sooner or later you're going to get there. All right. Number three is, uh, I know I just said that uh, habit building was probably the most important skill. So we're going to say that uh, writing, uh, the skill of being able to write is maybe the second most important after habit building. And uh, the great thing is you can use that. If you can build a habit, you can build a habit to write and you can become a better writer. And so I mentioned this before that uh, my daily writing habit uh, has been one of the most transformational things um, for me over this past year. And I think it's actually probably the single most transformative practice that I have ever undertaken. And I really can't overstate how important it has been to everything that I have achieved and how I've grown over the past year. And so I started it because, you know, I'd been hearing for years from many of the creators and thinkers that I follow about the benefits of writing and publishing daily, whether or not it was good or not, just writing and publishing. And so going in, I didn't really know what to expect or even really what my goals were. I just knew that this was something that a lot of people I looked up to said was one of their most important practices. And so I thought, well, let's give it a try and see what happens. Let's commit to, you know, three or six months and then go from there. And so I knew that there was a possibility of potentially growing an audience, but that was nowhere near the top of my mind. That was in the back of my mind. And, you know, I didn't even know what I was going to be writing about. So growing an audience was something that was, was really not front and center for me. Instead, at the time when I was starting, I was much more focused, at least initially, on improving my writing and finding my voice. And so I have prided myself on my writing ability for a long time. I know that my mom always says that uh, she always thought I would be a writer when I was even, you know, in kindergarten or grade one or grade school. And so I'd always had this kind of knack for writing and an interest in it, but I'd never really explored it that much. It was something I enjoyed, but never worked into my kind of day-to-day life or work in any meaningful way. And so This was something that I wanted to just build into my life more, to improve as a writer, uh, to find my voice, to find a topic that I was really interested in talking about outside of kind of podcasting and and business potentially where I had, you know, created content in the past. And so I didn't have that defined topic yet that I wanted to write about. And so at the start, I ended up cycling through kind of a whole selection of themes from business and marketing and leadership, podcasting, personal development, and more. And so some of those topics uh, were things that I had covered in the past and I still had some interest in. And some of them were new topics to me that were just, you know, what was coming up for me, what was on my mind and kind of cycling through those. 
And so over time, I found myself getting fixated on one topic for a period where I would write extensively about just that. And there was one stretch actually where I published almost 30 articles in a row on a daily basis uh, just about podcasting. And one of the things that was really interesting there is that as I published every day, I started actually getting featured in a handful of industry newsletters and things like that with a pretty consistent basis. So that was something that was really interesting for me in focusing on creating in-depth content uh, on a daily basis uh, can really do a lot if you kind of carpet bomb the industry. And if you're putting out, you know, 30 articles within one month, that is a lot of content. And if they are good, you are definitely going to start getting some traction from that. And so I saw traffic to my website go up, I think it almost like two or three X over that month compared to previous where I was just, you know, not writing about podcasting. And so I can entirely see kind of the, maybe not ROI, but the direct result of publishing on a focused single topic. And then in addition to starting to see some of that traction and getting some followers and getting some uh, features in different newsletters and things like that, uh, like I mentioned before, this is where the real value of the writing process came in was that I was able to explore these ideas that were occurring to me, but never had the space to, to really think through until I started this habit. And so the other interesting thing I mentioned before that I had had a course come out of this, I had a uh, like product or service offerings come out of this that was all started with little questions that I then uh, wrote into being, so to speak, and explored uh, through my writing. Um, but the other thing that was really a kind of game changer for me was that this habit of, of writing and exploring ideas has had an incredible impact on both my work, uh, kind of like I mentioned, but maybe more importantly, my confidence. And so looking back now, having this, this catalog of close to 300 articles. I have not kept it up every single day throughout the year. There was about a, a month or maybe month and a half break uh, where I was focusing on writing one super huge article that kind of sidetracked me. Um, but the rest of the time I have been writing almost every single day. But having this catalog of ideas really feels like I have uh, developed this foundation to stand on and base all of my future work on. And it's also really helped me clarify my thinking on all these topics that, you know, I'm already thinking about, but I don't know that I ever had an opinion on it. And so now when a client comes to me and says, hey, I have this problem, what would you suggest? I have already written an article on it nine times out of 10. And so I know exactly what my thoughts are, what I would do in that situation and how I can better help them. And so without this process of, of writing these things down, I would not have nearly the confidence that I have now in my ability to help the people that I am seeking to help. Um, as well as to help myself build my own business. And so it's this, this is kind of at the core of why I think that writing is such an important skill for every one of us to develop. And uh, the last thing I'll say on this topic is that, you know, when we really think about it, everything comes back to words and writing. Every idea that we need to express, every sales page we write, every piece of social media copy, everything comes back to words. And if we are able to uh, express ourselves eloquently and clearly and concisely and in an engaging manner, um, we are going to have more success in pretty much everything we do. Words and writing really touch everything. And, and writing is a great way, even if you, you know, run a podcast or do video content, writing will help you clarify your thinking and be able to kind of build up this, this mental um, platform to stand on almost is how I think about it, where I have this, like I mentioned, this increase of confidence and this um, sense that like, you know, I know how to work, sort out ideas and work through them. And I have also sorted out all these ideas already. So almost any question that somebody asks me, I can immediately think of the answer and I can, you know, fall back on this blog post to point people to and say like, oh, actually, like I wrote a thousand word blog post about this. So I'm going to give you like the short version here, but then you can go check that out as well. And so again, <laughs> writing, if there's one recommendation I would make, um, 
after listening through this episode is start working on your writing. Do something, um, whether it's a daily habit or if it's a weekly habit or whatever it is, like writing is such an essential, important skill that it really uh, can't be skimped on. And so um, definitely my advice would be to spend some time uh, developing that and working on that in 2021. All right, number four is that everything is just a draft. And so I think that we all create anything with the intent that our creations will achieve their desired impact, preferably immediately upon releasing them. More often than not, however, they don't, at least not quickly. Sometimes they they never do at all. And so when this happens, when we've put all this time into creating something, we release it, it doesn't have any impact, it doesn't get any traction, nobody sees it even, uh, it's really easy to get discouraged and maybe we even give up on the project entirely. And failed projects, especially when there has been a significant amount of time, money, energy, and hope invested into them, can be really emotionally devastating as a creator, as a business owner, and as a person. And so one of the mindsets that I have somehow, I don't know how this happened, but I've adopted it this year, uh, that has been hugely beneficial to me, is to start thinking of everything that I create just as a draft. Uh, either the first or the next in a long series of drafts. And probably there is no final finished product. And the reason I think that this is really important is that drafts aren't supposed to be perfect. And so thinking of your work in drafts really takes a lot of the pressure off. And often drafts don't work at all. They can be clumsy and clunky and, you know, they just don't achieve their desired effect. But the thing is that each draft is an essential step towards creating the next draft. You can't get to the 10th draft of something without writing those first nine drafts or creating those first nine drafts. And so how I've taken to thinking about anything that I create is that, well, if it doesn't work, doesn't achieve their desired result, oh well, it was just a draft. We'll go back to work and start working on the next one. Number five is to do things that have more than one potential benefit or version of success. And so each time uh, we take up a new pursuit, we try to take on a new project or whatever it might be, uh, each time we do that, that is something of a gamble. And so maybe it's choosing a niche, betting that this is the group of people that we are actually best positioned to serve, or we create content, uh, betting that it will resonate with the right people and that the right people will eventually want to work with us. Or maybe we create uh, a product, betting that this is the thing that our audience wants most. With a lot of these projects, however, there's often only one version of success. And when there is only one version of success, it can be hard to stick with the practice long enough for it to actually bear fruit. Because sometimes if there's only, if the only thing we're doing this for is to get clients, maybe we are, you know, creating a podcast or something like that. And our our goal is just to get clients out of this. That might take a year. It might take two years uh, for us to actually get clients, especially if we're like a high uh, ticket service provider or something like that. And so when that, uh, when we're so fixated on the one result or there is only one possible um, positive result that we are, are shooting for that is worth anything to us, that makes it hard to stick with a lot of the things that um, we need to do in order to achieve those results. And so one of the things that I have started really basing a lot of my decision making on in 2020 uh, has been to focus on making bets that have multiple ways of paying off, preferably on different timescales as well. So for example, let's go back to my writing again. For me, one of the, uh, well, not one of the, the primary reason that I'm doing this writing practice is to help myself clarify my thinking and to express more ideas and have more ideas. So that that um, that result is really guaranteed as long as I keep writing, that result is going to happen. 
But there are also other potential benefits. There is the the benefit down the road of building an audience or engaging an audience. And this is something that is already happening, even though that's not my primary uh, goal for that to happen. And now I'm starting to see that there are other kind of product offers and things that are spinning off of this. Um, I haven't created them yet, but the ideas are starting to form in my mind that are directly related to the content that I am writing about. And so all of these different things, there's all these different ways that um, writing pays off for me. And the great thing about this, especially um, I've been looking for ways to um, make decisions and do things that are guaranteed to pay off. And so like with writing, um, I might never build an audience. I might never create and then sell products uh, that make any money. I might never find any clients through it or anything like that. But to me, it's already valuable to me just by doing it, like I mentioned. And the same thing with this podcast. Um, I would love to get clients out of it one day. Uh, probably those would come from the guests I have on. And so that's one of the primary goals of this show. And again, maybe an audience does build out of this. If you're listening to this now, I suppose you are actually in that audience and are proof that that is a side benefit. But that's not the main goal. And then there's even a third benefit, which for me is just having a kind of sandbox to play in to experiment with different types of production, uh, to be able to build systems around the podcast so that we can then better serve our clients and create new kinds of offerings based on having complete control over this podcast and uh, being able to fiddle with it and tweak it any way that I want. And so, uh, again, that is something that will pay off. Even if I never built an audience, even if I never get a client, I've been able to create this kind of showcase podcast and experiment and explore uh, the medium in more depth with full control than I would on any client shows. And so again, that's guaranteed. As long as I produce the podcast, uh, I'm going to achieve that goal. And so this is an idea that has really been a revelation to me over the past year. And I can only imagine that it's going to be a major driving force behind everything I do going forward. Uh, because really, the more ways there are to succeed, the harder it is to fail. All right, number six is pre-selling. And so this is something that, uh, like many people, I have uh, done the wrong way in the past. And so for me, this all re revolved around my, my best showcase story of doing it the wrong way, uh, of creating a product and trying to sell it after the fact, uh, was something called the Podcast Power Pack. And so this was a bundle sale um, that featured a whole bunch of courses uh, designed to help people uh, grow and launch and market and monetize their podcasts. And it was over $3,000 worth of courses that was available uh, for five days only at a more than 90% discount. And so I had a few friends who had run similar bundle sales in the past and had a lot of success. And so I was really excited about this because I thought this was the perfect product for the podcast industry. Long story short, in the end, uh, I sold it to a few dozen people uh, and the price point was at uh, around $300, maybe a little bit less than that. And everybody who bought it had a fantastic experience with it, but almost no one bought it in the big scheme of things. And so in the end, it ended up losing thousands of dollars. I spent like 200 hours or more or something on the creation of it in the couple of months leading up to it. And so I was pretty devastated that this hadn't actually worked. And so this year, uh, in the spring of 2020, I had an outline for what would become uh, my current flagship program, Podcast Marketing Academy. And so this is a 16-week program uh, designed to help uh, people who have existing podcasts, but uh, who aren't quite seeing the results that they're hoping for. It's not bringing in new clients. It's not growing the audience as fast as they would like uh, to help them actually start seeing those results. And probably at this point, they've already been doing the show for like a year or two years or three years or something along those lines. And so I had this idea, and again, this was uh, the course, the one of the courses that came out of my writing practice, and I was ready to get started on building it and then selling it. The only thing was uh, my coach, Jamie, had other ideas. 
And so she convinced me to face the possibility that the product might actually not be a good fit for my audience upfront before creating it by pre-selling it. Now, pre-selling is something that I had heard a lot about in the past, but had always kind of shied away from. And I think that most of us do this. Uh, we think that if we can build the product first, we'll be able to show people how great it is and then sell them into it. And that it's going to be, how can we possibly sell something that we haven't created yet? I think that that puts a lot of pressure on us. And so we shy away from it. And the other thing is that I think, you know, we're so scared of rejection of not being able to sell it that we'd rather do all the work first and put that potential rejection off as far as possible. But the thing is, you know, we have to face that rejection at some point and by pre-selling a product at a lower price than we would sell it for in the future, we're actually able to get some feedback very early on before we've created anything uh, as to whether or not this is actually a viable product and save ourselves a lot of time and potentially a lot of money that would go into creating that product in the end. The other thing is that if we're creating it with people who have already signed up, we can kind of get their input as we're creating it on the fly to make it a better product than we would be able to uh, if we were creating it first ourselves and then selling it later. And so uh, with my coach's guidance and uh, the memory of the power packs failure, and then also my friend Haley, who uh, she had just completed her own successful presale uh, about a month before mine. And so she was kind of like egging me on from the side. And uh, we have a bit of a healthy rivalry with our businesses. Uh, so with their support, I started actually sharing this idea, sharing my outline. I built a pretty basic website uh, for it and started trying to find beta testers. In the end, I wound up with 18 people who paid $500 each to be a part of that founding cohort of Podcast Marketing Academy and had a fantastic uh, first cohort run through that. And now we are uh, well into the second cohort of it, uh, building off of the success of that first one. And so it was definitely a stressful first few weeks, maybe a month that followed uh, me actually successfully pre-selling the product. And then I had to get into, uh, you know, actually filming the videos and creating all the content and getting them up online on a very tight schedule. But now that after it has been created this way, I will never, ever, ever again create another product before pre-selling it. Um, and I'm convinced that this is the only way to create any type of product, especially if it's like a digital offer like this. And so, again, I know that this is something that is very uncomfortable to think of, but uh, <laughs> having gone through it, I, I know that I know people who had done this before and were super excited about the concept of pre-selling after they did their first successful pre-sell, and I kind of always rolled my eyes at them. After having done that myself, I'm now like, oh, I get it. I, I see why you guys were so excited about this. So uh, the next idea you have, I cannot recommend highly enough that you uh, make an effort to get it in front of the right people uh, first before you've created it. Say, hey, I'm doing this thing. Is this something you'd be interested in? And, you know, normally it's going to be this price, but I'm opening it up to the beta testers for, you know, 50% off or whatever it is. Uh, I just want to get some like feedback on it and, you know, work it out on the fly uh, with this small group of people first. And if you can't find anyone, probably the idea could use some work or it's just not a good idea at all. And if you can find people, that's great. And the product itself is going to be better by going through it with these kind, this kind of supportive community of people the first time through where you can kind of create it on the fly with their feedback. All right, number seven is the idea of having only A players on your team. So one of the first things that my coach, Jamie, asked me to do when I started working with her at the beginning of 2020 was to go through my team and assign each team member a letter grade based on their contributions to the company. Now, being someone who believes the best in people, uh, maybe perhaps to a fault, 
I was really generous in my assessments and gave pretty much everyone an A grade with a few B pluses sprinkled in. In hindsight, I now realize that I really could have benefited from a grading rubric to help me discern what an A player actually looked like. A few months into the year, I hired Lindsay, my online business manager, and that distinction started to become much more clear. Now, Lindsay was in a very different role with more responsibility and also uh, more ability to go above and beyond what was explicitly asked of her. But she took advantage of that opportunity and she spearheaded major projects and upgrades in the business, many of these with only vague direction for me. And so as I recently reassessed my existing team as we come to the end of the year, I realized that, yes, there are certainly a few A players on the team already. But there are also a handful more Bs than I initially thought. Now, I want to make it clear that Bs are still above average, and they often do really excellent work. In many cases, they are exactly what's needed for the job at hand. And so there is absolutely nothing wrong with Bs, and probably most teams are going to have uh, a good chunk of them. And it's also possible that with education, guidance, trust, and opportunity uh, from the the CEO, the leader, uh, myself in this case, many Bs can in fact become A players as well. And this is something that I now realize that I've done a really poor job of doing and I'm going to be making a focus of in 2021 is actually giving people the opportunity and the trust to expand their skill sets, to take on more responsibility and and have more opportunity to uh, play a bigger role in the business. And this is something that I've... worry sometimes that I've almost over-systematized things so people don't actually have the um, ability to go above and beyond even if they wanted to or they think that 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 might be discouraged. The thing is about A's is that they are just programmed to go above and beyond like that is how they operate. They move faster than anyone else and they make the business better than you're capable of doing yourself. So looking back, I think a part of my generous grading the first time I went through my team was me wanting to believe that I only attracted the best of the best uh, to my team. Realizing that this has not been the case has been a somewhat humbling experience. It feels like, oh, I didn't hire all A players. I'm not the best, you know, hirer or manager or recruiter or, you know, it feels almost like it's a bit of a uh, blow to my ego to have not just attracted the, the most amazing people for these roles. That said, the experience of first going through and giving those generous grades and now realizing with a more kind of clear head where people are actually at uh, has helped me realize that I've taken the business about as far as I can uh, while shouldering the brunt of the load. And to go any further, it's really become clear to me that more A players are needed, which for me will likely be a mix of developing uh, those people from within to become true A players and give them more responsibility and more opportunity, like I mentioned, as well as bringing on new people to fill new roles and potentially existing roles as well who are really capable and and excited to go above and beyond and bring a whole lot more uh, to the team than you know I can bring on my own. And so I know that this is going to take some time and some effort to get there, but the prospect of a team full of A players is a seriously exciting proposition indeed. And it's something that um, I now realize, I know when I first went through this process with my coach, she mentioned right off the bat, like, you, it, it is essential if you want to get to that next level of business, everyone on the team needs to be an A player. There's just no other way around it. And uh, to me, at this point, coming to the end of the year, I fully realize uh, this kind of ceiling that I've pressed up against where I am kind of the bottleneck still of, of needing, being the only one who is uh, capable or willing to do all this extra work uh, outside of just what's in the job description. And so aiming to either hire or develop A players uh, has, has been a huge 
uh, lesson for me this year and is something that I think is going to be transformative in the year ahead. All right, so we are halfway through this list of 14 lessons that I have taken away from 2020. Uh, I will be back with the second seven lessons in next week's episode. And so until then, please reach out uh, to me, Jeremy at counterweightcreative.co or send me a message on Instagram or Twitter. um, And let me know what some of the lessons are that you took away from this year. You can also find a full written blog post uh, in the show notes for this episode outlining these lessons as well. And a lot of links to... uh, some of the the blog posts that I've written over the past year and some of the newsletters that have um, expanded on some of these ideas a lot more. And again, not to belabor the point of uh, the importance of writing too much, but almost all of these lessons started as ideas that uh, I wrote about on my blog. And before that, they started as little ideas that occurred to me, uh, you know, sometimes just like a one word or two words or a short phrase um, as I was, you know, out for a walk or listening to a podcast or just, you know, sitting at my computer working or something like that. And so, it's really interesting to me to look back on on these lessons and be able to point back to blog posts for almost every single one where the idea first occurred to me and has then kind of continued to uh, manifest itself in my life and my work and further develop from there. So please get in touch. Let me know what some of the, the major takeaways from 2020 have been for you. And until next week, keep building better.